Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for the, the miracles that we get to witness every time we see someone snatched out of the darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. When we see a heart made new. And it's such a glorious thing to behold, Father, and we're encouraged afresh as we see it. Such is the case today. Now as we approach your word, Father, we ourselves and we ask that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, counting on you to move in this place and to open our eyes and our hearts that we would behold wonderful things from your word. Please speak through me, God, and may we all be encouraged to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, you may be seated. So I'm going to share a message with you today that consists of several scriptures that have been very special to me over the years. And so I was going to start the book of John. Today we finished 1 Thessalonians. And uh, over the course of the week, I think the Lord just made it very clear to me that uh, he had something different. Something different for today. And so uh, this is, I think, fitting for the bridge guys, for our graduates, uh, for the guys in the program. But it's certainly fitting for all of us here who have named the name of Christ, and for anybody who may even be considering that or wondering what that even means. And so today's message is titled, The Radical Call to Follow Jesus. The Radical Call to Follow Jesus. You know, I'll never forget the first time that I even heard that phrase, follower. I was a new believer. I was at a church, a young lady. She had come back from a missions trip. And she was talking about how where she went, uh, it was Christianity, to call yourself a Christian was almost like a, a social thing. People didn't take it very seriously. It, it kind of meant something altogether different. But if you were to say you were a follower of Christ, that kind of changed everything. That was distinct. It was unique. It was weighty. And uh, as time went on for me, as I began to understand the Bible more and more, I saw that's actually a very biblical Thing. And that's exactly what Jesus is looking for. Jesus is looking for followers. For followers. You know, Jesus, man, he's, he's hardcore, you know. Uh, we tend to think uh, we see the pictures of him, right, so often. And I think we get a certain idea in our mind of what Jesus was like. But uh, I think the scriptures show us something altogether different. And he is serious and he has serious expectations for his followers and he's worthy of it he is deserving of all that we have and more amen and so he expects nothing less than that and so this is a very challenging message for me let me just say that first and foremost over the years as i've looked at these scriptures that we're going to look at today i've been encouraged and challenged but all over again as i am working through these things i'm thinking lord have i have I slowed down? Have I uh, cooled off? Am I still following you with the same passion and fervor? Am I, am I going more deep into the things that matter most to you? And so just really having to ask some hard questions and pray through this. And so I pray that this will be a challenge and an encouragement for all of us. You understand? Um, and so first off, though, what I don't want to do is get the cart before the horse. We talk about following Jesus and what that's all about. It all starts with the gospel, amen? You have to know the Lord Jesus in a saving way. You have to be transformed from the inside out. The gospel itself, there are no radical demands that come with the gospel. The gospel says believe. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
trust in Him for salvation, for the finished work of the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection in our place. It's as simple as that. To recognize, and we know this deep down in our hearts, that there is a God and that we have to get right with Him. We have to make things right. But the reality is we cannot make things right. Try as we may, we can never do enough to please an infinitely holy God. But what is so unique and distinct about Christianity is that God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. God paid the price. God gave His only Son who could live the life that we could never live and then die the death that honestly we all deserve in our place. So that if we call upon the name of Jesus, if we confess our sins and cry out to Him for mercy, we will receive mercy, abundant mercy and grace. And then we're transformed from the inside out, never the same again. And then begins the journey. Then begins walking and following after our King Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so you got to start there. you got to start there. True hope is in a new heart. And that comes first. But once you have trusted and tasted and seen that Jesus is good, you want to follow Him. And nothing else will do. Nothing less will do. The world no longer has anything for us and there is no turning back. Amen? And so that's really what we're talking about here. The radical call to follow Jesus. It's not an easy path and we know this, but Jesus did not save us so that we would just spend our days advancing our own kingdom. He saved us and He didn't just save us and take us out of here. He has a job for all of us in this room who have called upon His name and we are to follow Him into that calling. And so with that, we're going to get into it. i got a lot of different scriptures here, so I won't be asking you to follow along because we're going to move pretty quickly. But with that, I have several points that I'll make as I go. And so this is the radical call to follow Christ. Point number one, Jesus is looking for followers, not admirers. Amen? Jesus is looking for followers. He is not looking for fans. And uh, for many of us, that's, that's about where it is. You know, Jesus is okay with me. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is there when I need him. But every other time, you know, just kind of, I got this. That's not what it's about. Jesus is looking for followers. And so we see this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets, and they followed him. Similar story with another guy, Matthew, over in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After these things, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, that's Matthew, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And so he left all rose up and followed him. And so Jesus approaches these men and says, follow me. This was a literal call. A literal call to drop everything, leave everything behind, and to walk with me, to follow me. And I think we take this for granted, you know? I mean, if somebody came up to me right now and was like, I'm the son of God, follow me, I would be like, Napa State Hospital is over in that direction. 
But these men, I mean, they knew that this guy was the real deal. He's legit. There was something different about him, and he was worth following, and he was worth leaving everything behind for. And Jesus did not disappoint. This was a call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is, a learner. One who learns with the intentions of imitating. To learn with the intentions of imitating. That's what a disciple is. And if you are a Christian, that is what you are. That is what we are called to do and to be. To study our Lord Jesus and to live like He lived. And notice that Jesus said, I will make you. Jesus said, I'm going to make you. You are fishermen, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Jesus would transform their lives fundamentally. He said, this is who you are and this is what you do. But that, from this day forward, changes. That changes altogether. And many of us in here, we know what that's like. We have experienced that radical transformation. My life was forever changed and set on a totally different trajectory the day that I called upon the name of Jesus, the day that I bowed the knee to Him. And that's the way that it ought to be. So these guys instantly forsook their livelihoods to follow Jesus. Now for some, that's exactly what Jesus calls them to do. To just drop everything and go. But for everybody... Everybody, we are to undergo a radical and fundamental transformation from the inside out when Jesus calls your name and says, follow me. When you hear the voice of the good shepherd and he says, follow me, we drop it and we go. Amen? That's what Jesus is looking for and nothing less. Jesus is looking for followers. Number two, following Jesus requires supreme loyalty. Following Jesus requires supreme loyalty. In Luke chapter 14, it says this in verse 25, Now great multitudes went with Jesus, and He turned and He said to them, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple." This is what I mean when I say Jesus is hardcore, man. I mean, you got this huge crowd here, and Jesus wasn't impressed with that. In fact, he was skeptical. Are you sure all of you guys are really followers of me? He says, let's, let's just consider this. And then he begins to say these kinds of things like you have to hate your father and your mother and your wife. Now, we know that that is not what Jesus is literally telling them to do. He's not saying you need to hate these people because that would contradict what Jesus has clearly taught and what the Word of God consistently teaches about loving and honoring our parents and our spouses and our children and so on and so forth. But this is hyperbole. It's hyperbole and it's meant to shock you. And the idea is your love for Jesus, there can be no rival. Your love for Jesus must be unrivaled. Your love for Jesus is so far above the love for anything else that it almost seems like hatred that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's pretty radical. And he kind of says the same thing in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so that's the idea there. You have to love Jesus more than anything. More than your own life. More than any other relationship in your life. 
You need to make up in your mind and heart that you will follow Jesus anywhere no matter what it might cost you. Having a willingness to lay down your life. You're not trying to save your life. You are freely giving your life away. I've quoted this many times before, uh, and I'll, I'll quote it again. It is, He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. You're not a fool if you give away what you cannot keep. Because you can't keep it. Try as you may, cling on to this life. You're going to lose it. But if you're willing to give it away for Christ, you're going to find true life. And that will never be taken away from you. Never. And Jesus said that's what it's all about. He said you have to be willing to take up your cross. Now that's, that's a crazy statement. And it's lost on us a little bit. But that's a very scandalous thing. The crucifixion, it was a very real thing in those days. And a lot of people would see this happen. And it was a very gruesome, grotesque, horrific thing to behold. And it was a scandalous thing. You just, if you had any social graces at all, you didn't talk about a cross. You just didn't mention it. You didn't bring it up. And so when Jesus would say these kinds of things, people understood what he meant. And he was basically saying, you have to be willing to die to yourself. Take up your own cross. My goals, my dreams, my ambitions, my aspirations, my comforts, my securities, my pleasures, all of that are gone. I die to that. I'm following Jesus. I'm taking up the cross. And I'm going after Him. I am laying my life down for the King. And that is exactly what Jesus calls for. Supreme loyalty. Supreme love. He's looking for followers like that. How are we doing in that area? I think we are, I know that in the world in which we live, with everything that is available to us, all the creature comforts, all the distractions, all the desires, it is a constant fight to give Jesus our loyalty, is it not? I've heard it said that the human heart is an idol factory. And that's just the case. We are constantly making up idols to worship. We don't even have to try, it just happens because such is our heart. And so we have to, we have to crucify that, we have to take that to the cross. We have to lay that down. Jesus, you're my number one. You're the one thing above every other thing. And I am yours and I will follow you. Number three, following Jesus requires a calculated commitment. Following Jesus requires a calculated commitment. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verse 28 Jesus is telling a couple of stories to kind of illustrate this idea. And he says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Jesus says, Before you build, before you start this project, you better count the cost. Do you have what it takes? Do you have enough to finish? He continues on in verse 31 to say, What king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise... Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And so he's saying, think carefully. 
count of cost? Do you have what it takes? Are you willing to pay the price? And there are varying costs that we all have to pay. It's just the way that it is. And it looks different from person to person, but there is a cost. You have to determine, are you willing? See, sometimes people jump right into it. They don't really know what they signed up for. And I think that, to some degree, could be the case for all of us. We get surprised. We get thrown off guard. And so, uh, but I think oftentimes we come into it not really knowing at all and kind of having some totally different idea of what it is to follow Jesus. And when things don't go the way we expected it to go, we bail out. We didn't have what it took. We had not counted the costs. And so Jesus said, you have to determine if you can pay the price. You have to determine if you're really ready to go to war. Because that's what happens. When the bombs start going off, we start to freak out, you know? It's like a soldier going into war, and then all of a sudden bullets are whizzing by, and bombs are going off, and he takes off running, and he says, people are shooting at me. It's like, well, what did you think was going to happen, right? You signed up for that. And so oftentimes, we as Christians can be like that. And so Jesus says, you got to know. you got to be ready. you got to be prepared. And then he says this in verse 34, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so after talking about counting the cost, oddly enough, he goes right off into this little story about salt, flavorless salt. It's worthless, he says. There's nothing that you can do with it except throw it out on the ground. And so the idea here is Jesus is saying that's a would-be disciple who's not willing to carry their cross. They're flavorless salt. And they're worthless, essentially, Jesus says. That's not my language, that's His. And so we have to take this so very seriously. Jesus says we have to count the cost. We have to be willing to die to ourselves and follow Him. Follow Him into that. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57, there was a a guy here that was very excited about following Jesus. It says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's amazing to me. This would-be follower approaches Jesus with such excitement. And what is Jesus' response to him? Jesus challenges him. Jesus doesn't say, all right, buddy, come on, let's do this. He challenges him. You know, maybe this guy had delusions of of grandeur uh, because Jesus' response to me is significant. You know, people are like, this is the Messiah. The kingdom is coming. Man, I'm rolling with the king. Jesus, can I hang out with you? And his response to this guy is essentially, if you follow me, you're sleeping on the ground tonight, buddy. Still want to follow me? You know, is Jesus enough? Am I enough? Am I worth following? And so, I get worried sometimes when I see people that are so excited. Now, don't misunderstand me. I love to see people excited about Christ. I want to be more excited about Christ. It's a glorious thing, but we know excitement comes and it goes. And then it comes and then it goes. And I see people come in sometimes and they are floating on the pink cloud. 
and it is all good. And then all of a sudden, the cloud dissipates, it evaporates, and they come falling down, and then they disappear. And so just recognizing that we have to, we have to calculate. Are we going to stay the course no matter what? Do we really know what we're signing up for? Are we going to follow Jesus when it feels good and when it doesn't? Are we going to follow Jesus when we can hear his voice and when we cannot hear his voice? Are we going to follow him no matter what? Now, Jesus encountered another young man who wasn't willing to pay the cost. We know the story of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Now, the guy had come to him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus kind of throws out some commands, and he says, I've done that. In fact, I've done that perfectly, which obviously he had not, and Jesus kind of puts his finger on some things. But then Jesus, looking at him, it says Jesus loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in life, uh, treasure in heaven. Come take up the cross and follow me. That's what Jesus said. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then he wasn't willing to give that up. Just wasn't. So Jesus lovingly called this young man to die to himself, to take up his cross. His treasure, his one thing, was his possessions, his wealth. And when Jesus put his finger on that, this man was not willing to budge at all. And so he went away sad. Jesus called on him to turn away from his idols, to forsake his idolatry. He wouldn't do it. He would not do it. He counted the cost, and the cost was too high. In his mind, the cost was too great. And he went away sad. And that is sad. That is sad. When we think that the treasures and the pleasures of this life are somehow better than Christ, somehow better than God and His kingdom and what awaits us in the next life, that's a sad thing. Now let me just say this. This does not mean that Jesus is saying it's bad to have wealth or treasures or possessions. And it doesn't mean that if you're a follower of Him, you need to sell everything that you own and give it to the poor. Right? But I heard a, a pastor once say, David Platt, I'm going to paraphrase his quote. He said, this doesn't mean that everyone needs to sell all that they own to follow Jesus. But if you are relieved by hearing that, you're probably the one Jesus would say that to. <laughs> so I was like, gotcha, got him. And so just thinking deeply, where is your treasure? Where is your heart? What is your one thing? What are you living for? Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to forsake anything and everything for Jesus? Can you make Him your number one? Will He be the one to whom you give your supreme loyalty? Will you follow Him? Well, point number four, Jesus says that His true sheep will follow Him. They will hear His voice and they will follow Him. John chapter 10, verse 14, He says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And so there is a genuine connection between the good shepherd and his sheep. And Jesus says, I know my own, and I am known by my own. And Jesus, the good shepherd, even laid down his life for his sheep. Such is the good shepherd, the lover of our souls. 
so the sheep know Him and they hear Him and they follow Him. You know, we have a living Lord with a living Word. Jesus is alive. He's seated at the right hand of the Father from where He intercedes on our behalf, praying for us. Can you believe that? And He's given us His Word. By the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to hear from Him. As we read the Word and we learn of Jesus and He speaks to and ministers to our hearts. And so Jesus says that My sheep, they hear Me, they know Me, and they will follow Me. And so are you Jesus' sheep? Do you belong to Him? Have you heard His voice? When He calls, do you follow? And you can just feel the intimacy in this. This isn't bashing someone over the head with a club. It isn't dragging them through the mud. Jesus goes and we follow. Because He is the shepherd of our souls. Amen? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Praise the Lord. True sheep will follow. Number five, following Jesus means doing what He does. Following Jesus means doing what He does. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, it says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. John chapter 13, verse 15 says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So the teacher teaches and the student learns. Did you know that? It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's really not rocket science. And the student has learned when the student can live it. Kind of in Greek thought, the student has learned when the student can repeat it. And Hebrew thought, the student has learned when the student can live it. And that's really what Jesus is getting at here. He uses the language of the servant and the master. The servant serves the master. And it is not the other way around. Except with Jesus. It is so incredible that the Master came down and served us. And Jesus said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus came from the highest place in heavenly glory to the lowest place, taking the form of the servant, and He washed His disciples' feet there in John chapter 13. He took the lowest place, and He washed their feet. And then He says, I've given you this example that you should do as I have done to you. The servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. And so, we have been given instructions to live by. Jesus is the master and the teacher. You know, sometimes we may act like we outrank the master or that we know more than the teacher. Amen? Sometimes we do that. Maybe a lot of times we do that. But we don't know more than the teacher, and we don't outrank the master. And this is not a suggestion, nor is it theoretical. It's authoritative, and it's concrete. Jesus said, I've given you an example to follow, and if you're a follower of me, you're going to follow that example. You're going to do what I do. You're going to do what I do. And then he says, blessed are you if you know these things and you do them. It's not enough to just know it. 
You've got to do it. But if you do it, you're blessed. You're blessed. That word literally means happy. Jesus is saying, happy is the one who knows these things and does them. Happy is the one that listens to the teachings of the teacher and obeys them. Happy is the one who follows the example of the master there. Jesus was holy. He was humble. He was loving. He was serving. He was a truth teller and he was missional. You know, that's the example that he set for us and all of those things. And so we want to follow the example of our king, of our master, of our savior, if we're going to be followers of him. Number six, not only does following Jesus require doing what he does, but following Jesus requires doing what he says. You ever heard of I know we've all heard this. Don't do what I say, don't do what I do. Not so with Jesus. We do what he does, but we also do what he tells us to do. We do what he says. In John chapter 14, verse 15, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. You love Jesus, obey his word. Now, Jesus is not saying, obey me so that I will love you. You must, we got to get that straight. Jesus is saying, you know me, I love you, you love me, then obey me. Listen to what I say and do it. And so that's the proper order. Because we know who Jesus Christ is, but because we know what He has done, because we have experienced firsthand His saving and transforming love, we want to do His will. We want to obey Him. We hear His voice. We want to follow Him. And that is expected of a disciple. That is expected of a follower. We do what Jesus says. We do what Jesus does. And then Jesus really says that if you don't love him, then don't say, uh, if you don't do what he says to do, then don't say that you're a follower or that you love him. And so we have to make up in our mind, are we going to do what he says or not? Are we going to follow him? Do you love him? And keep his commandments. Number seven, following Jesus requires a single-minded focus. Following Jesus requires a single-minded focus. You guys still with me here? All right. Luke chapter 9, verse 61. And another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. There's no looking back in the kingdom of God. Jesus encounters this would-be follower, and he has a reasonable request. The guy says, all right, I want to follow you, Jesus, but just let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, you can't even do that. Now, this is strikingly similar to a story in 1 Kings in the Old Testament. You know the prophet Elijah? Well, he had a, a sidekick, the, the prophet who essentially took his place, Elisha. That can get kind of confusing. And so Elijah called Elisha into the ministry, and when he did, Elisha was actually plowing, and he had a bunch of oxen pulling the plow, and he went back and he sacrificed those oxen and celebrated with his family, and then he went off to follow Elijah into ministry. And what he's essentially saying is there's no turning back, I'm sacrificing this to God, I'm giving it away, and now I'm moving forward. 
Well, it's interesting that Jesus says you can't even do that. You cannot look back. You cannot be held back. You cannot have a divided heart. And what I think is really going on here is, reminds me of another Old Testament story. We know the story of Lot, Lot's wife, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, that uh, he was rescued out of there and his whole family too. And so as, as Lot and his wife were going, what did his wife do? She looked back. She looked back, and it's a trippy story. The Bible says that she was turned into a pillar of salt. Is it, what, what's the deal with that? You know, what's up with that? She just looked back. And what it is is she looked back with a longing heart. She didn't want to leave Sodom and Gomorrah because that was who she was. That was her, her people, and that was, you know, and she, as she was leaving, she looked back because she didn't want to leave. And so that's the idea here. Sometimes we're pulled. Jesus is calling us. We know that we want to go, but there's something that is holding us back. There's something that is pulling on us, and we're double-minded. We have a divided heart. We're unstable. We, are, we do not have a single-minded focus. And Jesus says, the one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Quite some time ago, I was up here in this pulpit, and I, was, I quoted that verse. It just came to me, and I was like stepping into it. And uh, man, the Holy Spirit just punched me in the throat, like right there. And he was like, that's you. Because I, you know, I'm not from here. I love it here. You're my family. I love you guys. I love the life that I have here. But, you know, I miss the South sometimes. I miss the South, good old Dixieland. And uh, there in the beginning, I would have seasons where, man, there would just be this strong pull, you know, this pull that my family's there and, you know, it's just, it would just really start to get, get the best of me at, at times. And I, I just got hit. The Lord said, that's you. You're looking back. I called you out here. Put your hand to the plow and plow and stop looking back. Stop having a double mind. Stop having a divided heart. And it struck me so that I almost like lost my place. And it jolted me for a minute, and I kind of had to pick it up and keep moving. But I just, it's one of those moments when you know God is saying, that's you, you're the one. And so we just have to recognize it happens, and we can be totally divided, and we can get distracted. And so we have to have a single-minded focus. We also like to look at other people a lot, you know. John chapter 21, after Jesus rose from the dead and, and he restored Peter into the ministry, and then he gave Peter this interesting prophecy about how Peter was going to, to die. And um, John, we believe the, the, one of the other disciples was nearby, and uh, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this guy? What about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. Stop worrying about this guy over here. Stop worrying about these people over there. Stop worrying about what's going on in the world, what's going on in politics, what's going on, fill in the blank. You follow me. You follow me. We are the follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so sometimes we have to recalibrate. We have to set it straight again. We have to have an undivided heart and a single focus on Christ as we are following Him. Isn't that what it means? Where Jesus goes, we follow. How Jesus lived, we live. And that is where our gaze is set, to behold the glory of the Son and to seek to be like Him and to live how He would have us to live, to go where He would have us go. 
And it doesn't, we just got to stop worrying about what, a, what every other person is doing or not doing or saying or not saying or thinking or not thinking. Amen? That'll set you free. That will set you free. We really cannot control what other people are doing, saying, thinking, how they feel about us, whatever. We just have to follow Jesus. We have to follow the King. Number eight, following Jesus looks different for each follower. Following Jesus looks different for each follower. And this is important. This is important. You know, we all have different personalities, uh, mannerisms, giftings, resources. We live in different places at different times, Jesus' followers. And so what, what it looks like for them to follow Jesus can differ. And that, we, need to be, we need to be okay with that. And I really, you know, there was a season when, as I was really agonizing over these things, um, it started to kind of get the best of me. You know, I started thinking, and this is what I don't want to happen here today. It's like you can almost start to get this feeling like whatever you're doing is not good enough. And it's to the point where it's like if you don't sell everything that you have and go to Afghanistan and minister to the Taliban, then you're not following Jesus, right? And it's like, okay, reel it in. Calm down just a little bit. Take a deep breath. And so, you know, we can get to the point where we put a burden on ourselves that Jesus didn't put on us. And so we just have to know what it is. You've got to know what that means for you. And so this story here is pretty cool to me. In, in Mark chapter 5, we know the story. There's this demon-possessed guy, and he's living in these tombs, and he's wailing and crying out at night, and people tried to, like, save him and bind him, and he would break the chains. It was just a, a horrible thing. I think it said he would cut himself with rocks. I mean, it was just a, a terrible situation. As bad as that guy looked, I bet he didn't have nothing on me, man, when, uh, when I came to Jesus. And so I was always related with, with this guy, you know. And so what did Jesus do? He saved him. He cast those demons out of him. And then it says when the people came and they saw this guy clothed and in his right mind, uh, did everybody worship Jesus? No, they did not. They wanted Jesus to get out of there, which is crazy to me. And so this, uh, it says in Chapter 5, verse 18, when Jesus got into the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. He wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to go where Jesus went. However, Jesus did not permit him. He said to him, go to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. This guy hardly knew anything about Jesus. He knew that he had been radically healed and restored. And he knew that wherever Jesus was going, he wanted to go with him. He wanted to be with Jesus. Jesus said, did not say, follow me. Jesus said something totally different. Jesus said, I do not want you to go with me. I want you to go back to your home and tell everybody how God had mercy on you. Now, what's fascinating is that everybody was begging Jesus to leave. But Jesus came back to this same territory not long after and the people were waiting on him people went crazy when jesus came back they were going after him and i believe in large part because of the ministry and the witness of this guy right here and so the guy did exactly what jesus told him to do and so this is an instance where following jesus meant going a totally different direction and so we just have to recognize it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of a thing 
You know, even Jesus' healings, the way that he would heal in so many different ways, I've heard it said that he did that so that people wouldn't kind of get this idea it's a one-size-fits-all. Because we like to put God in a box and say God did it this way, and he's going to always do it this way. So Jesus might touch somebody. Jesus might speak to somebody. There's one story where he literally spits in this guy's eyes. And that just always tripped me out. I mean, I'm sorry, it does. But, you know, I heard a story about a missionary he went to this tribe, and they put such emphasis on the healing power of spit. And the witch doctors were like all into saliva. And so when this guy came, he told that story about Jesus and the spit. And they said, this Jesus is the most powerful spitter we've ever heard of. <laughs> and they converted to Christ. And so that's hilarious to me. But, you know, it's just amazing how God works in different ways. And so we have to recognize that what is it God's called you to do? What does being a follower of Jesus look like for you? Amen? That was a total rabbit trail, but I just wanted to tell that story. That was just <laughs> popped in my head. All right. Number nine, following Jesus will result in a fruitful life. Following Jesus will result in a fruitful life. John 14, 5 through 8. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. But then he says this, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. If you, are, if you belong to Christ, if you abide in Him, if you follow Him and walk with Him, you will have a fruitful life because that brings God much glory. Who you are in Christ, who God is making you to be, that is what God is concerned with. Not so much with what we can do for Him, but who we are in Him. God is glorified in that. And so to follow Jesus is fruitful. Growing personally and giving back. Making a contribution. Not just taking, but serving, giving, loving. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. There will be no genuine or lasting fruit. But in Him, there will be much fruit. And God is truly glorified in it. If we're not fruitful, we need to examine our lives. We need to examine ourselves. Are we following the Master closely? Are we doing His will? Are we living the way that He lived? Are we doing the things that He said we ought to do? Is Jesus our number one? Because we ought to be uh, bearing fruit. And there are seasons. You know, fruit, it's seasonal. Right? We have dry seasons where we're struggling and we're hurting and we're doubting and that's to be expected. God's faithful. And he sees us through that. But we want to be striving to be fruitful. And Jesus said, it's just going to happen naturally if you're connected to him. We don't have to struggle and strive and strain. It just grows naturally if you're connected to the vine. Number 10, almost done here. The call to follow Jesus is urgent. It's urgent. Luke chapter 9, verse 59, it says, Then he said to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. Again, that's, that's crazy. And the guy says, look, I'll, I'll follow you, but first let me go back and, and bury my father. Now, what this most likely means and what commentators seem to think is that he's not, his dad didn't literally die. He's basically saying, wait till my father passes and then I can take care of the estate, get my inheritance, and then I will follow you. 
And the, the application there is obvious. And, and we often do this. We'll follow Jesus when the time is right. We'll follow Jesus when it is convenient for us. We'll follow Jesus when we think there's a more suitable time to do so. And the time never comes. And Jesus said, the time is right now. Now, I don't want to minimize the shock effect that this is supposed to have. What if Jesus is really saying that to this guy and his dad died? Would you follow him? You know, it's, it's like that. It's that serious. The command is real. Are we going to follow him? But so often, we just, uh, we just think that we've got plenty of time. We just think that we have all the time in the world, that time is on our side, and we can get right later. But you know what? We don't know that. You don't know that. Time is not on our side. And so we have to deal with this with a sense of urgency. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you trusted Him as Savior? Are you forgiven in Him? Are you a brand new creation? Is God your Father? Will you go to heaven when you die? You can have assurance in all of those areas right now if you would only believe in Jesus Christ and call upon His name for mercy, for forgiveness. Bow the knee and follow Jesus. And the call is urgent. The call is urgent. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. And if you know Him, follow Him. Stop being distracted. Stop caring about all these other lesser things. Get after it. Follow Jesus. Amen? Walk with the King. And this brings me to my last point. If you don't follow Jesus, where else are you going to go? If you don't follow Jesus, where else are you going to go? And we know this text well. John chapter 6, towards the end, it's a very long chapter, from verses 66 to 69. He says, well, Jesus had just given this, this teaching that was very difficult for people. And, and you know what? They just left. They're like, this is crazy. This is too hard. We're out of here. And so it says, from that time, many of his disciples, they went back and they walked with him no more. They said, we're throwing in the towel. Then Jesus said to the other twelve, he says, do you want to go away? Simon Peter answered him, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? He says, you have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to know and believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so there were peripheral disciples. They weren't willing to go all the way with Jesus. And there were many of them. And they weren't willing to go all the way. They weren't willing to take up their cross. And so his sayings were just too hard and they defected. But then the twelve, the twelve, they were given the same opportunity. Jesus turns to them and says, Do you want to leave too? Now is your chance. And Peter got it right. Peter responded correctly. He said, where else can we go? Where else would we go? There is nowhere else to go. Jesus alone has life. And Him is life alone. There is life and no other. Christ alone, the Son of God. And so that's my plea for everybody in this room. There is nowhere else to go. There is no hope. There is no life outside of Christ. In this life or the next. And so maybe you've been walking with the Lord and you've gotten distracted. Things have gotten hard. You've gotten discouraged. I want to encourage you. Stay the course. 
Keep following after Jesus. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Don't turn to the left or the right. There's nowhere else to go. We cannot go back. We cannot go back from where we came. The Bridge Brothers, this is for you. How many times have I told you this? You cannot go back. Do not turn to the left or to the right. You must follow Jesus. There's nothing back there for us anymore. Amen? Amen. There's nowhere else to go. There's nothing sweeter than knowing the Savior, hearing His voice, and following His call, living our lives for Him here and now, and knowing that one day we will see Him face to face and we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're living for. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. If you follow Jesus, you will not walk in darkness. This world is a dark place. And much of this world is walking in darkness. Blind, deceived, empty, lost. But Jesus said, if you know me, if you walk with me, you will have the light of life. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we desire? That's my, that's my desire for all of us. That's my cry. So follow Him. Follow after Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, we love You so much. We thank You that You have called us out of darkness and into light. We look to You, Father. We praise Your holy name. King Jesus, would You help us? By Your Holy Spirit, would You please revive us? Would You give us this kind of passion? Take us back to our first love, Jesus. Restore within us the joy of our salvation. Give us a very clear vision of what it means to follow after You. Each and every person in this room, what it means. Give us, God, not only the vision and the desire, but the strength to take one step at a time as we walk after You, putting one foot in front of the other. We praise You, God, and we thank You. In Jesus' name, amen.